Howard Gardner, professor of education and psychology at Harvard University, is one of the great minds of our time, best known for his theory of multiple intelligences, but also he's written many books on leadership and creativity, including one in particular, Leading Minds, that's important in understanding this week's parasha. Gardner's argument is that what makes a leader is the ability to tell a particular kind of story, one that explains ourselves to ourselves and gives power and resonance to a collective vision. So Churchill told the story of Britain's indomitable courage in the fight for freedom. Gandhi spoke about the dignity of India and non-violent protest. Margaret Thatcher talked about the importance of the individual against an ever-encroaching state. And Martin Luther King told of how a great nation is colorblind. Stories give the group a shared identity and sense of purpose. The great questions, who are we, why are we here, what is our task, are best answered by telling a story. As Barbara Hardy put it, we dream in narrative, daydream in narrative, remember, anticipate, hope, despair, believe, doubt, plan, revise, criticize, construct, gossip, learn, hate, and love by narrative. This is fundamental to understanding, incidentally, why the Torah is the kind of book it is. It isn't a theological treatise or a metaphysical system, but a series of stories extended over time from Abraham and Sarah's journey from Mesopotamia to Moses and the Israelites wandering in the desert. Judaism is less about truth as a system than about truth as story, and we are part of that story. That's what it is to be a Jew. A large part of what Moses is doing in the book of Devarim is retelling that story to the next generation, reminding them of what God had done for their parents and of some of the mistakes their parents had made. Moses, as well as being the great liberator, is the supreme storyteller. Yet what he does in Parshat Kitavo extends way beyond this. He tells the people that when they enter, conquer, and settle the land, they must bring the first ripened fruits to the central sanctuary, the Beit HaMikdash, the temple, as a way of giving thanks to God. A Mishnah in Bikurim describes the joyous scene as people converged on Jerusalem from across the country, bringing their first fruits to the accompaniment of music and celebration. But just bringing the fruits wasn't enough. Each person had to make a declaration, and that declaration become, became one of the best-known passages in the Torah, because although it was originally said in temple times on Shavuot, the festival of first fruits, in post-biblical times, it became a central element of the Haggadah on Seder night, Arami Ovedovi. My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt and lived there, few in number, there becoming a great nation, powerful and numerous, and so on. You know the story. That is the Jewish story. Here, for the first time, the retelling of the nation's history becomes an obligation for every citizen of the nation. In this act, known as Vidui Bikurim, the confession made over first fruits, Jews were commanded, as it were, to become a nation of storytellers. Now, this is a remarkable development. Yosef Chaim Yerushalmi tells us that only in Israel and nowhere else is the injunction to remember felt as a religious imperative to an entire people. Time and again, throughout Devarim, comes the command, Zachor, 
to remember. Remember that you were slave in Egypt. Remember what Amalek did to you. Remember what God did to Miriam. Remember the days of old. The Vidui Bikurim is more than this. It is compressed into the shortest possible space the entire history of the nation in summary form. In a few short sentences we have here the patriarchal origins in Mesopotamia, the emergence of the Hebrew nation in the midst of history rather than in mythic prehistory, slavery in Egypt and liberation therefrom, the climactic acquisition of the land of Israel and throughout the acknowledgement of God as Lord of history. We should note here an important nuance. Jews were the first people to find God in history. They were the first to think in historical terms. That is, of time as an arena of change, as opposed to the cyclical time in which seasons rotate, people are born and die, but nothing really changes. Jews were the first people to write history. Many centuries before Herodotus and Thucydides, often wrongly described as the first historians. Yet the fascinating thing is that Biblical Hebrew has no word that means history. The closest equivalent is Divrei Hayamim, Chronicles. And the truth is modern Hebrew borrowed the word historia. Instead, the Bible uses the root zachor, meaning memory. Now, there is a fundamental difference between history and memory. History is his story, an account of events that happened sometime else to someone else. But memory is my story. It's the past internalized and made part of my identity. That is what the Mishnah in Psochim means when it says, Each person must see himself or herself as if he or she personally left Egypt. Throughout Devarim, Moses warns the people no less than 14 times not to forget. If they forget the past, they will lose their identity and sense of direction, and disaster will follow. Moreover, not only are the people commanded to remember, they're also commanded to hand that memory on to their children. This entire phenomenon represents a remarkable cluster of ideas about identity as a matter of collective memory, about the ritual retelling of the nation's story, above all about the fact that every one of us is a guardian of that story and memory. It isn't the leader alone or some elite who are trained to recall the past, but every one of us. This too is an aspect of the devolution and democratization of lead leadership that we find throughout Judaism as a way of life. The great leaders tell the story of the group, but the greatest of leaders, Moses, taught the group to become a nation of storytellers. And you can see the power of this idea even today. As I pointed out in my book, The Home We Build Together, if you visit the presidential memorials in Washington, you see that each carries an inscription taken from their words. Jefferson's, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Roosevelt's, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And Lincoln's Gettysburg Address and his second inaugural, with malice toward none, with charity for all. Each memorial tells a story. London has no equivalent. It contains many memorials and statues, each with a brief inscription stating who it represents, but there are no speeches or quotations. There's no story. Even the memorial to Churchill, whose speeches rivaled Lincoln's in their power, carries only one word, Churchill. America has a national story, 
because it's a society based on the idea of covenant. Narrative is at the heart of covenantal politics because it locates national identity in a set of historic events. The memory of those events evokes the values for which those who came before us fought and of which we are the guardians. A covenantal narrative is always inclusive, the property of all its citizens, newcomers as well as the home-born. It says to everyone, regardless of class or creed, this is who we are. It creates a sense of common identity that transcends other identities. That's why, for example, Martin Luther King was able to use it to such effect in some of his greatest speeches. He was telling his fellow African-Americans to see themselves as an equal part of the nation. At the same time, he was telling white Americans to honor their commitment to the Declaration of Independence and its statement that all men are created equal. By making the Israelites a nation of storytellers, Moses helped them turn into a people bound by collective responsibility to one another, to the past and future, and to God. By framing a narrative that successive generations would make their own story and teach it to their children, Moses turned Jews into a nation of leaders.